The man who Eve Wiley thought was her biological father died when she was seven. When she was 16, she was snooping around in her mother's email, and she found out that the person she was calling dad her whole life wasn't biologically related to her. Thus began a lifetime of discovery, anger, purpose, and advocacy. But let's back up. What did all that new information feel like for 16-year-old Eve to take in? I was a little relieved because all of these, you know, scenarios that I would play out of why I was so different. Was I adopted? Was I the product of an affair? You know, why is it that my mom was pushing me into politics and, you know, literature and poetry? And it was because that's what the donor was interested in. Um, so there was a, a part of me that was relieved. And, and then there was also that naive part of me that was a little excited. I still had a dad. And so I, you know, I recognize as an adult, but you know, it's way more complicated than that. And that was an oversimplification. But as a 16 year old girl, those were my feelings. I didn't really understand, you know, how complicated it, it really was when it came to that relationship of, you know, I, I never thought that, that my, my dad, my donor, I never thought that he wouldn't want to know me because in my mind, this was like a Disney princess story. So what happened next? I went and I confronted my mom. She started bawling. Um, I was like, it's okay, it's okay. And and she was, she had this huge green folder and she printed out every single email, every single message board, anything to basically show me that she was doing all this research to figure out who he was. And um, at the time we had to go get my medical records. And the rule was, is when you turn 18, you can submit those medical records. They'll cross check the uh, purchasing records at California Cryo Bank with the doctor. And then they'll initiate contact to get that updated medical information. So it took them about a year and they found donor 106 and I just had that beautiful fairy tale story um Steve became dad and um, we just developed this beautiful father-daughter relationship and um, when I decided to get married he officiated my wedding um I became close with my half siblings his uh, social children and so it was just you know everything was just awesome and um then I had my first son and he started presenting with these medical mysteries that we couldn't really figure out. And I was getting the whole, you know, like you're a first time mom. And then, um, you know, they thought I was exaggerating symptoms. And to make a long story short, um, we started working with this geneticist. And after the first thing he said was like, we need raw data on your genetics. So do 23andMe plus health. And it came back that my son had celiac disease. I had no idea what celiac disease was. So they went through the whole thing of an autoimmune disorder, how it was hereditary, and I was the carrier for it. That was really bizarre to me because no one in my family that I was aware of had been reporting celiac symptoms or autoimmune system, symptoms. So from that point, we get my son all figured out, everything's great. And I um, start looking at the DNA side of it, the relation side of it. And there are three potential half siblings. And so I contact them one by one. And the first one is from my area. And um, I'm trying to think of the nicest way. They was bless this sweet little heart. I just, I didn't think he really understood <laughs> the whole, like, you know, how donor conception worked. And I kept telling him that, that, you know, Dr. McMorris was our mom's doctor, which is different. He wasn't the donor. I just thought he was confused and just probably not the sharpest tool in the, in the shed. And then the next one, 
was one from Texas and he was 13 years older than me. And even though I knew that red flag, you know, cognitive dissonance is an amazing thing. Um, I was just, you know, swatting away all the red flags because I just thought I, I knew it all. And then I got in touch with the third one. He wasn't on social media. So I had to get to him through LinkedIn and it was late one night. So I sent him a message and um, he's like, can I give you a call tomorrow? Maybe a little difficult to explain to my wife why I'm getting out of bed to call another woman. So I was like, yeah, that's totally fine. I just think I'm your half sister. And then my phone immediately rings and he's like, okay, you got my attention. And so we walk through this whole thing of, um, you know, here I am thinking that I'm dropping this bomb on him. He doesn't know he's donor conceived. And, you know, a lot of us have been in that position before. So I'm trying to be sensitive to this. And we look at the profile and we look at the Morgans on 23andMe. And it falls within the range where we really could be half sibling or um, first cousins. And so I was like, okay, so if I'm your first cousin, then one of your uncles is my biological father. Is your uncle Steve? And he said, no, my uncle is Kim McMorris. And my world stopped because Kim McMorris is my mom's fertility doctor. And, and that is the man my entire life, Hugh, and I'm from a small community. That that was always the hero in my parents' stories that, you know, they couldn't get pregnant. They went to him and he helped them. And and I had my mom's medical records. I had the record where it said of my conception of donor 106. And so there was only one thing that this could be. And that was that Dr. McMorris switched his sperm and inseminated my mother without her knowledge or consent with his own. And I had developed this wonderful relationship with donor 106 that I've called, you know, dad, and he's still dad today. Um, but it definitely sent us on um, this crazy, crazy journey that I've been on for the last five years. My first compassionate reaction is white hot rage on behalf of you and your mother. When you told her, how did she respond? She was in shock. She she didn't believe it. She was like, he is such a wonderful person. He would never do this to me. And you know, there was a lot of work that we both had to do. And I see this a lot now too with people where this is their story, really processing the deception around the conception and separating that entirely to who I am as her daughter. Because there were a lot of times where she would say she felt like she couldn't validate that trauma, that she couldn't give space or hold space for that trauma because it also meant that she didn't love me or she would have wished that anything would have been different. And so there was so much work around opposite feelings about the same thing. You are allowed to, to hold space for the trauma that, and trigger alert here, um, that she was sexually assaulted. And, and that is really confusing, but you are also allowed to love me and wish that, um, that, that I was always your daughter and nothing else would change that. And so all of that work that we have done to separate those two things um, has been really helpful, but it was, it was really hard for her, for me, for dad, you know, for our family as a whole to really kind of work through all of the deception around my mom's conception, around my conception. So after you found out that your biological father was Dr. McMorris, what did you do? Did you contact him? I called attorneys because I wanted to make an informed decision. And um, I was utterly shocked that they said, you don't have a civil cause of action and you don't have a criminal cause of action. And even if we would attempt to go to the medical board, I don't even know if you could get a license because of a statute of limitations. 
that pissed me off so much that there is this clear violation and there is a man that is going to walk away with zero accountability. So what I did is I was like, all right, I'm going to give him a chance to do the right thing. And so my attorney said, when you write him, it needs to be in writing. Um, don't call him <laughs> in writing. And so that's why I, I confronted him um, over letters that eventually turned into emails. And um, he just lied. And I would poke a hole in that lie. And then he would tell another one. And every time I would uncover another lie, um, he would, you know, move the needle a little bit more. Can, may I ask, like, how, how can he lie? It's genetics. How does he lie? What, what, can you give me an example? Any lie? Pick a lie. Well, and that's the thing is I'm like, you know, DNA doesn't lie. People do. And so, for example, so I told him, you know, took 23andMe, connected with the first cousin. Um, and he was like, well, it appears you may have inherited some of my genetics. And I'm like, Dr. McMurray's some of your genetics? <laughs> Just sprinkle them in there, you know, because he was in the room. Maybe it sloughed off him. You just just a sprinkle of my genetics. And um, at that point, I I recognized that with this not being a crime, not having a civil criminal cause of action, and then him unwilling to take accountability, the only thing I felt like I could do was come forward because I needed my medical information. I didn't. I had no idea the scope of the problem. But what if my half siblings are out there and and they have a child like mine? I have this, you know, the key to this. I have the secret that they need, and I don't have any connection back home. I don't have any way of identifying who these people are. But I was also going to go change the law, and so that's what I did. I put my little pink suit on, and I went to um, the Texas Capitol and talked to a lobbyist who taught me how this worked. And I went down there once a week for five months and met with as many legislators as I could. And we got a bill passed, and it is now a sexual assault in Texas. After the break, if she could sit him down and make him listen, what would Eve say to Dr. McMorris? So how does karma taste? I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is what you'll get when you mess with us. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Eve Wiley thought her dad was her dad. After he died when she was seven years old, she found out that he wasn't her biological father. Her parents used donor sperm to have her. And her mom found the paperwork that said her father was donor number 106, Steve. So she contacted Steve, they became super close, and everything was awesome. Case closed. Except when Eve had her first son, he developed some medical issues that were inherited. So she did the online DNA test 23andMe plus health. Through that, she met relatives who revealed that her dad was not donor number 106. Her biological father was actually Dr. McMorris, her mother's fertility doctor. This is called fertility fraud, and in all but 12 states, it's not illegal for a doctor to do this. And there are no laws on the books against fertility fraud federally. Let's get back to our conversation. Why do you think he did it? You know, I've had a lot of feedback from people that have worked with him previously that um, he's a tightwad. So he probably wanted to save money. 
Um, but I also think for, you know, a lot of these doctors, there is a level of narcissism and this God complex of when God fails, they are God, they play God. And I think that that feeds a level of um, power um, that is intoxicating to a lot of these men. And then they become this hero for these people. And um, I think that that was something that he just didn't have strong enough boundaries to set and to separate. So I think it was all of those things. When was the last time that you tried to reach out to him personally? It would be the last letter that I sent. So that would have been in 2019. Um, He does have regular contact with some of my siblings. Um, I believe my nickname is Evil Eve. So... (laughs) I know. I mean, Ooh, wow. your name being Eve in this context <laughs> is also kind of amazing. It's kind of funny, right? So I get, you know, some regular feedback from from them. I think he's softened a little bit, but I don't think that that side of the family is too happy with me, which I'm fine with because I feel, you know, it was a necessary evil. And I can now live this genuine and authentic life through the transparency. And I think at this point, if they were to ever, um, you know, approach me with any type of, you know, connection or want a relationship, it is within full transparency and there's no hiding and there's no secret. So I would know that it would be genuine. In a lifetime, we search for meaning and purpose. And your story is so, it's so clear that this is one of your lifetime's purposes to seek the truth, to listen to your own intuition, which had been going off the whole time, and to do something about it. When you hear me say that, what goes through your heart? I mean, I think you're spot on. Narrative therapy has been such a important part of my healing. You know, especially when it comes to something like this, I I didn't decide, no one decides how they're born. I didn't decide to be lied to. I had no control over any of that but I have control over this. I have control how I can respond to the situation. I have control of, am I going to be the victim or am I going to be the victor? There is a purpose in the pain. I just have to find it. And being able to take control back of my life was so empowering for me. And then to see, you know, all of the other people supporting me along the way and and on my journey. Um, I think that that is how I've really been able to heal from this this trauma is really figuring out what what is the purpose of my pain and doing something with it and taking control of the situation. For people who are listening to you right now and they are in the process of or considering using donor services to conceive a child, is there anything that they can do just so that they won't be in the situation that you and your family were in? the easy button would be go to a female doctor and then I'll be like the surefire way. (laughs) That's great advice. Yeah. So that's rule number one. But our nail salons are more regulated than the fertility industry. And that when you see things that are from or like the American Society of Reproductive Medicine or, um, you know, any of those professional organizations, those are guidelines. Those are not mandated by um, the government. And so this entire industry is very unregulated in the wild, wild west. It is essentially self-regulated. The FDA is tasked with regulating it. But they stop regulating basically at the embryologist level. So once your reproductive material leaves an embryologist and goes into your actual doctor, 
if they want to use a pencil to document things, they totally can't. But asking questions like, does your clinic use any type of technology to make sure that my reproductive material is going to me and not to someone else? There are programs like Tomorrow, but with all the vowels out. So like T-M-R-W. Um, that is a tracking, it's digitalized, great. Um, you know that if there is an in-house embryologist, that they are going to um, be regulated more. So that's always great to ask. Ask as many questions as you can about who is handling the reproductive material. Is it a third party that is storing it? And you're just really trying to mitigate, you want less hands on it. So if it's a third party that is storing it, that's just one more transportation, one more place for things to go wrong. Because where I think that fertility fraud, I think doctors would be, I mean, they were stupid to do this anyway, but now with commercial DNA testing, now that they can get caught, um, I hope that the most recent case I'm aware of is 2012. And I hope that stays the way. Um, but now we're really looking at bigger things like fertility negligence. And that's just because reproductive material is not being handled the way that it should. And so I think that now for your listeners, you know, you're mitigating that and trying to minimize negligence and going to a female doctor. How many people do you know of did he make? Right now, our number is at 14. Three of those are his social children. Um, I know that there are way, way more than that. But right now, we're at a 100-mile radius of women that were driving to him in rural America. And um, our, I think our age gap is between, I think it's 13 or 15 years between the youngest and the oldest. I have spoken to uh, people that have worked in his office at the time, and he was seeing between 50 and 70 patients a day. So you let that sink in. I mean, that is every few minutes he is in and out. So um, I don't know if we will ever find them. You know, it's interesting that community, uh, most people have supported him, which is that rape culture, um, victim blaming, victim shaming, um, you know, all the marginalizations that, you know, people in our communities get like um, from the DCP or adoptees or, you know, NPEs, MPEs, those marginalizations of, but you wouldn't be here if it weren't for him, or at least you have doctor genes. Um, you know, you have a duty to honor your mother and your father. Um, you know, your mom's your mom, your dad's your dad, all those marginalizations, they really focus on that toxic positivity versus the deception around the consumption. If you could say anything to him alone in a room, and he had to hear you, and he couldn't speak back, what would you say? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I think that I would say, um, what is, I would actually be more of a question. Um, so how does karma taste? That's kind of what I think I would say to him. You know, now that I am literally his karma, um, he did this to himself. I'd probably ask him questions again about, you know, why did you do this? And how many times did you do it? I think I'd probably want to be understanding a little bit more of the psychology behind it. Um, but I think that there is a bit of that self-protective mechanism that I have as a person to not want to open myself up to that. But that goes back to trust, right? Because I don't trust him. Um, so I don't even know if I would want to open myself to him because of that lack of trust. Right. You wouldn't even necessarily be able to believe anything that he says anyway. 
pathological liar. I think when anyone is done wrong, you, you seek justice, whatever that means, or even if it even exists, you seek some peace, some resolution maybe is a better word. What is resolution for you? Resolution for me with him would be accountability. And, you know, I think about how different this could have gone. If he would have said in those letters, I did this, I am so sorry. Um, This was the thinking at the time, it was wrong. What can I do to make it right? We wouldn't be talking here today. I'm a reasonable person. I would have been like, tell me who everybody else is. Let's figure this out. Let's do the right thing. And I even offered to him, I'm like, when I was working on legislation, come with me and do this. Like, we can do this together. We can talk about how this was wrong and we're rising above and look what we're doing to make it right. And he said, no, obviously. Um, But for me, that would just be accountability. I was wrong and I'm sorry. That's it. Well, Eve Wiley, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me on. We'll have links so you can connect with Eve and Laura at ctpublic.org slash audacious. You'll also find a link there to the nonprofit Donor Conceived Community. They provide peer support, education, and resources for people navigating donor conception and DNA discoveries. Khalil Rahman conceived of this episode and produced it with help from Jessica Severin Martinez, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Special thanks to our interns, Carol Chen and Stacey Addo. If you liked this episode, scroll back through our podcast feed. We did one a while back about the lengths people go to to have or help people have children, including a conversation with a woman who was a three-time surrogate and another woman who donated her eggs five times. And for good measure, we also have our Gracie Award-winning episode about what it's like to wholeheartedly regret becoming a parent. Still our most listened to show of all time by far. Just search Audacious with Kyone Wolf wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review and then go ahead and share this episode. I'd love to hear your reactions. Get in touch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>